Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. I want to tell you tonight, if you are in Christ, your life ought to be different. It ought to make a difference in your life. It ought to make a difference in your life in humility. It ought to make a difference in your life in sacrifice. It ought to make a difference in your life in commitment. It ought to make a difference in your life in just about every aspect of your life. And Paul says, man, it was the grace of God that was bestowed upon the Macedonians. And from that, we, we see the response of what they're doing. Paul understood that it was a work of the Lord that allowed them to give so freely and so willingly. Today, Pastor David teaches about the financial giving that Paul addressed within the Corinthian church. Various churches that Paul preached to contributed financially to help support one another in ministry, and their gifts were given out of the generosity of their hearts. God has also given a lot to us for which we can be thankful. Because of God's generosity, we can also be generous toward God and His work in this world. What resources may God be calling you to dedicate to His work? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Financial Responsibility. Well, when Paul begins chapter 8, he begins with the words, moreover, brethren. In essence, he's saying something like, and in addition to, or as we see elsewhere in Scripture, that word therefore. And you know whenever we see a therefore, we have to see why the, what the therefore is there for, right? So it's always that call, you got to kind of back up and see what is he speaking moreover what's that in in reference to it's a phrase that actually draws us backwards backwards to at least a portion of what he had said previously so we could certainly go back and we could tie in all of chapter 7 with this but simply want to look at a couple of verses at the end of chapter 7 to kind of give us that proper direction of where to go with Paul's uh, teaching here in chapter 8. So if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just put it in reverse, go back a couple of verses to chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 14. Paul writes, for if in anything I have boasted to him, speaking about to Titus, if there's anything I boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Now remember, with the church there in Corinth, there were still issues that were going on. There were still things that Paul was dealing within them, with them throughout all of 2 Corinthians here. 
Now, even after sending them that letter that we know as 1 Corinthians, word had gotten back to Paul about some of the responses to the letter of 1 Corinthians and some of the continued actions that never did cease there in Corinth after that letter of 1 Corinthians. And though we no longer have an existing copy of Paul's next letter to them, his next letter, his next response to them, we do know that he wrote a rather harsh, a rather direct word to them, and he sent it to them by way of Titus. Titus was the carrier of this letter. It's a lost letter. It was written somewhere between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and maybe we could call it Corinthians 1.5 for all you techies in the crowd. While staying there in Macedonia, Paul finally received the response from the church from that letter of Corinthians 1.5. He got a response back from them. And it was an awesome thing, Titus's report to him of the Corinthians. Again, it reassured Paul and the meeting of Paul and Titus because it was a, a good report from Corinth. It became a time of rejoicing for them. It became a time of encouragement for them in the midst of it. And so then... Paul sat down and began to write what we have here as 2 Corinthians, or Corinthians 2.0, as the case might be. But we'll leave that illustration. Anyway, 2 Corinthians, that comes with some correction within the book, some instruction that he writes to them. But by and large, Paul was thanking them for their response to that previous reading for that or that previous writing, the one that's in between first and second Corinthians. He was encouraging them. He was telling them, man, you need to go ahead, continue on that good work, that good work of, of godly living, that good work of uh, staying true to the Lord in the midst of the pagan culture that you're surrounded with. A part of what Paul speaks of as, as godly living is the attitude and the actions of what we could call sacrificial giving with a heart of humility. Sacrificial giving with a heart of humility. And this is now where he's headed, and actually not only in chapter 8, but also in in chapter 9, it all comes together with that same concept, that same direction. Again, because of the growing persecution of the believers in all of the area, There was a lot of financial needs within the church in general, but in particular to the church there in Jerusalem. Not only was there persecution for the church in Jerusalem, but if you remember much from from studying the book of Acts and some of the letters of Paul, you remember that there was also a famine that was going on in Jerusalem and in that surrounding areas at that same time. So the whole area was suffering But the church was suffering even more because not only the famine, but they had persecution. Both of these things hitting on the church there in Jerusalem. So as Paul makes his missionary journeys, he goes up through the areas that the Bible speaks of as Asia. It's the area that we know as Turkey and the surrounding communities in there. Also, he crosses over the Aegean Sea, goes into the area of Macedonia and Achaia. That's the land actually we look at today as the country of Greece. So from Turkey over to Greece, that was the main area of Paul's ministry. And as he went through, as he planted churches, then as he came back through and ministered to those churches, he began speaking to them of the sufferings that was happening with 
the church there in Jerusalem. He made the needs of that church in Jerusalem known to the believers as he went around to these different churches. Now, many of the churches that he went to, you'd need to understand, they were suffering themselves. They were dealing with issues within their own right, within their own community. But yet, Paul found that most of these churches, they willingly sacrificed to give assistance to brothers and sisters that were actually in a greater need than they were. Now, we look at that. I want you also to be very clear. There was no such thing as the one rich church that helped support all these others. No, each one of these churches were what we would call today autonomous. They were in and of themselves. They couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, we need a little extra help over here because, number one, they didn't have a phone, but number two, there was not that richer church that was doing that. So it became a a body of believers all over that area with a heart to help and to sacrifice from themselves to assist these other believers. Most of these churches, again, struggling in some way, and yet they opened up their hearts, and they opened up, along with their hearts, they opened up their wallets or their purses to be able to get the furtherance of the gospel message through not only Jerusalem, but beyond that. Jerusalem had planted and sent out so many others from council there in Acts 15, as they sent out not only Uh, Paul and Barnabas at one time, but then Paul and Silas, and then Barnabas and John Mark uh, in other directions. So from Jerusalem, many of these churches had been planted. And so they were coming back and saying, hey, we want to bless. We want to cover you guys also. So now, as Paul writes in chapter 8, he brings attention to the faithfulness of the churches in Macedonia that had given so willingly to this offering that he was collecting to bring back to Jerusalem. So there in chapter 8, look at verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, we we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Fact is, the attitude of these churches there in Macedonia, I believe that it amazed Paul. He made the need known, and they responded in such a positive way. There was such a deep caring that these brothers and sisters in Christ had in Macedonia, this deep caring and this willingness to, to, to just surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ from their own lives. Again, with that understanding that nothing that I have is mine anyways. God has given it all. God has given it and God can take it away. I ought to be found as a good steward of what I have. And so as we look at verse 1, we realize Paul's concept of this gift that uh, the Macedonians had given. He states that their gift had actually come because of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I believe that Paul understood that it was a work of the Lord within their lives because of the grace of God had been bestowed on these guys. Their lives were changed. And I want to tell you tonight, if you are in Christ, your life ought to be different. It ought to make a difference in your life. 
It ought to make a difference in your life in humility. It ought to make a difference in your life in sacrifice. It ought to make a difference in your life in commitment. It ought to make a difference in your life in just about every aspect of your life. And Paul says, man, it was the grace of God that was bestowed upon the Macedonians. And from that, we, we see the response of what they're doing. Paul understood that it was a work of the Lord that allowed them to give so freely and so willingly. Now, this wasn't the efforts of just a humanitarian heart. You know, we, we see a lot of humanitarian giving and things within our world today. No, this, this is much, much different than that. This is an outflow of the grace of God within the life of these churches that were found in the areas of Macedonia. So Paul makes the current situation, the condition of the churches throughout Macedonia, he makes that very clear to the church at Corinth. He had need to understand he had already talked to the churches of Macedonia. He had already received the gift from the churches of Macedonia. And now he's telling Corinth what's taken place up here, not in a way of making them feel guilty, but just helping them to understand this is the heart of these other brothers. They themselves, the churches of Macedonia, as he says here, they were under a great deal of affliction. There's a lot of trials that they were going through. They themselves were in deep poverty. And yet he says that the attitude that they demonstrated was an abundance of joy, and their gift abounded in the riches of their liberality. It's not like they went up to the first church of the big bucks and said, hey, can you guys spare a couple of bucks for for your brother church over in Jerusalem? No, he went to a church that was suffering, a church under persecution, a church that was in deep poverty and said, hey, I, I, I know where you're at. We also have a sister church in Jerusalem that, man, they're going through the same things as you are. And there's a lot that's going on. Plus, they got this famine going on. So really, out of their need, out of the need of the Macedonian churches, they were willing to give to support and to help where the need was placed. So look at verse 3. Paul says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and oh, by the way, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. According to their ability, we'll look at that in a moment, but also beyond their ability. In other words, sacrificial giving out of a heart of humility. As a matter of fact, they were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Do you catch what he's saying there? And we looked at their situation and said, look, you guys are suffering yourselves. They said, it doesn't matter. Here, we want to help. Well, no, I don't want to take your money. He says, no, they were imploring us with great urgency. No, please, we want to be a part of blessing our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul says, man, they implored us with much urgency to receive that gift. Verse five, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You realize what's going on there? This wasn't just a money gift. This this was a surrender of life. As they were committed and dedicated to the Lord, And they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Because you know what? 
to just give money at a cause. We can, we can bring up a cause here every week. Oh, causes all around the world. We can bring up those causes every week. And, and maybe uh, a little tear-stained video that we can show and some stories that we can read you. And some might say, oh man, I, I feel bad for that. I want, I want to give to that. But you know what? That's not the way that we're supposed to give. We're supposed to give being led by the Lord, led by the Lord's direction. And that's why he says, they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. And they decided, you know what? We feel this is what God is leading us to do. It's funny how sometimes we, we misjudge people's willingness or even their ability to be able to give. We look at an individual or we look at a family that, that's well off financially. Man, they got a nice house. They got nice cars. They got all the, all the latest toys and all the electronic gizmos. And we think, now there's a family that could give and financially support the work of God and his kingdom very, very easily. Because we're looking on the outside and we're looking at outside and material things. And yet do you realize that in the vast run of experience, for most of these, and I do say most, not all, but most of these, most of these hold on to their finances a lot harder than those who have less finances. It just seems like the more you got, the tighter the grip comes on what you have. Many times, it becomes apparent that the riches begin to own the individual rather than the individual owning the riches. Experience, literally, experience in in ministry for 40-something years plus, uh, again, statistics that I've read through the years, it shows that the overall support comes from the many smaller gifts rather than a large gifts coming. I've shared with people through the years here at Calvary, I'm really glad that we don't have, and uh, if you understand the phrase, we don't have a rich sugar daddy that's part of this fellowship, that we've got to go to them every time we need some. Hey, brother, so-and-so, uh, we've got this need. Are you going to, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll write you out a check. I Praise God, we don't have that, because you know what? That means I don't have one individual to, uh, that I'm having to answer to either. Okay, sometimes I wish there was that guy, but, but no, no, really, I'm, I'm glad that there's not. I really am glad that there's not, because what we see that God has done through the years has been through the faithfulness of a wide amount of people. Don't get me wrong, some wealthy, they do give, and some, they, they, they give very well, but percentage-wise, it would probably really surprise you how that works. I don't want to bore you with a lot of statistics, But I do find it pretty interesting just to ponder these things in reports not only about uh, secular giving, but also in religious giving. Looking at the secular rate of giving, that's the the non-religious individuals that are giving to non-religious things, uh, events and causes. Foxbusiness.com speaks about an article in The Atlantic. They say that Americans with earnings in the top 20% of income levels contributed on average, give me a couple of guesses, how much, what percentage of their income? Anybody? 5%, 3%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%, 5%, 4%,
three, four. One point three. One point three. The top twenty percent of income levels. Those at the bottom twenty percent of income. Well, they donated three point two percent. That's just an average. Three point two percent of their cash to charity. Now that's more than double that of their top twenty percent. But still, you wonder, only 3.2%. Well, another magazine article, people that accumulate more wealth tend to become more insulated and set apart from others, making them potentially less aware of the needs and the struggles of those that are less fortunate than they are. You know, if you're way high and mighty in in the financial realm, you don't really understand the needs of the common, much less the needs of those that are very poor, well under-financed in their life. That report from the Chronicle found people who make even $100,000 or more gave an average of 4.2% of what's called their discretionary income. You know what discretionary income is. That means I've paid everything else that I possibly can, and look at there, I got $5 left. That's my discretionary income. What I don't have to spend, what's not been budgeted, everything that's left over, it's what you might call the, the net after all the other bills are paid. Out of that, they would give 4.2%. Now compared to the average of 7 from those that make between 50 and 75,000. So from 50 to 75,000 of the discretionary amount. That's not the overall amount. That's just what's left over, 7.55%. Now when you look at the statistics of the Christian community, you would think that, man, it would really jump up there. Guess what, church? It doesn't change a whole lot. And that's a sad declaration of the church. It really does not change very much. It does change some, but not very much. There's a greater percentage of people giving within the religious community, and I'm going to spread that net pretty wide, okay? But the overall percentage amount is only slightly different. According to Barna, Barna reports that some population groups were more likely than others to have given at least 10% of their income. Now, you hear the difference between discretionary fund and income, okay? How many would like to live off the income versus the discretionary amount? You know, the discretionary is just what's left over. So the income is what you get, okay? So those that give at least 10% of their income, Among the most generous segments of the religious community, and actually this is within the Christian community, were the evangelicals. Now, we throw ourselves in the bucket of evangelicals, and they say that 24% of evangelicals tithe. Now, we'll get into tithing a little bit more in a moment, but tithing is is, is considered biblically as 10% of your income off the top before taxes. It's just the first fruits, 10% of the first fruits. That's the Old Testament description and declaration. That's the same definition that's used even in the New Testament anytime they speak of tithing. Okay, so that's what that is. Oh, 
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.